Okay, round two. Name something that's not boring. A laundry? Ooh, a book club. Computer solitaire, huh? Ah, oh, sorry. We were looking for Chumba Casino. That's right. Chumbacasino.com has over 100 casino-style games. Join today and play for free for your chance to redeem some serious prizes. Chumbacasino.com. No purchase necessary. Forward, prohibited by law. 18 plus. Terms and conditions apply. See website for details. Hi, I'm Dominic Patton. And I'm Pete Hammond. And this is the Deadline Podcast TV Talk. Today, we're going to be discussing the new streaming services that launched during the pandemic, Peacock, HBO Max, uh, Quibi. Then you're going to hear a snippet of Dominic's conversation with Mindy Kaling and Lang Fisher, the creators of the Netflix show, Never Have I Ever. Yes. And never have I ever seen so many streamers with absolutely nothing to say. One day, one day after HBO Max launches, and it didn't really have a lot of firepower in the arsenal. Now, some of that, let's just be straight up. Some of that has to do with the fact that there's a global pandemic happening, coronavirus, and things like the much-hyped Friends reunion special saw its production plug pulled, like almost everything in the industry saw um, back in March. But still, HBO Max launched yesterday with... Well, really, a lot of reality shows and an Anna Kendrick series called Love Life, which is kind of really should be called, as I said in my review, Sucks to be Me in the City, and the actually quite charming Not Too Late show with Elmo, which is good for both the little ones and, I have to admit, the big ones, too. Otherwise, not a lot. Well... You know, HBO Max is certainly launching with a big publicity campaign. I have been besieged, Dominic, by promotional items and all kinds of things from HBO Max. So I think they're putting a lot of, and I mentioned this in a story that I wrote on Friday about how uh, the whole uh, business of awards campaigning and things may change with the Oscars and that maybe HBO Max is helping to lead the way. They had a virtual world premiere that I decided to attend for that Anna Kendrick series, Love Life. And it was crazy, man. It had an after party with four different rooms you could go into virtually. Uh, they sent a karaoke microphone so I could sing along with the soundtrack in these places. They had a, a DJ spinning records. They had a woman. Yeah. But that's, but, that, but that's exactly it. But that's exactly it. You know, with Peacock and with Quibi and with HBO Max, these guys are all the karaoke version of Netflix and Amazon and Hulu. And the fact of the matter is, in this, this, this much baited streaming wars era that, we now, that we're in, the only new player on the block to show up with anything resembling a jab was Disney Plus specifically with The Mandalorian, the Star Wars live-action series. HBO Max, Peacock, and Quibi, they don't have a Mandalorian. And therefore, they don't really seem to have, in my opinion, a lot of reason to be here right now. And that's the thing you have to ask people. Because really, you're asking people in the middle of a global pandemic that also happens to be an economic crisis that we have never seen the likes of in our lifetimes or maybe ever in the Western economy, you're saying to people, hey, give us some more money. You know, hey, give us another 15 bucks. Give us another this. That's exactly why Jeffrey Katzenberg and Meg Whitman 
Quimby has just fallen off the, the, the top 50 and probably even the top 75 most downloaded apps because their people don't have a reason for it and they don't want to pay for it. Even in that case, they gave them 90 days for free and they still couldn't get many people to sign up in the first round. And they okay. admitted it themselves. Okay, Dominic, let me ask. Do you have something against Anna Kendrick? She's got a show. No, not at all. I, no, no. As, as I said in and she and both those things are, uh, you know, I, I like her a lot here. And uh, you're knocking the uh, people that are bringing Anna Kendrick into our living room. And in fact, in Quibi, onto our phones. And uh, well, I'm, I will say this. I would say I this. As, as I said, as I said in my review of Love Life, if it wasn't for the, the, the presence of Anna Kendrick, who is, unintended, almost always pitch perfect, <laughs> Love Life would be a total tragedy. As it is, it's just a very bad ripoff of Sex in the City. Okay. Now, here's the thing you haven't mentioned. You have sort of skirted around it. But two of these services, Peacock and um, uh, HBO Max, have decided to go into this business by taking off the most popular show on, on uh, Netflix in both cases, The Office and also Friends, and taking it back. Yeah. Because they own it and they are banking on this thing to uh, get uh, eyeballs on their services by bringing in the golden oldies, as it were. Is that a bad strategy? Well, I, I actually think it is. I'll tell you why. Because the thing about The Office and Friends being on Netflix is there are two main elements. One, if you're watching The Office or Friends, I kind of guarantee you've watched them before. So you're, this, is, this is comfort TV. Personally, for me, the West Wing fulfills that function in many ways. So um, there's that. So I don't think people are actually going to clamor if they have their, um, their cheese whiz taken away from them. And secondly, I don't know if, if a golden oldie is enough to get you to sign up with the new kid in town. Again, if you have a Netflix subscription, you're already getting this. If you're going to lose it, well, it turns out that Ted Sarandos runs streaming service and it has a lot of other stuff you can watch too. So they seem to be doing quite well. I mean, actually, look, let's be honest. In an economic crisis we're in, their stock is going up. I just feel like if I was, I am not, I have never asked, been asked to be, but if I was an executive at Quibi, at HBO Max, or at Peacock, or their own companies, Comcast and AT&T, and Jeffrey Katzenberg's um, parent company, I would have said, you know what? No one's going to fault us for hitting the pause button on this. This is... This is a crisis that we have never foreseen, never anticipated, and no one knows a playbook on. Let's just hold off. Yeah, I've been inundated, too, with HBO Max specifically um, hype. A lot of it's pretty great. I've like uh, Game of Thrones chessboard, which is amazing. Yes, but yes. I, I have also seen in, in major urban centers where there is a stay-at-home or safer-at-home, as they say in L.A., mandatory order, Flooding the zone with billboards where you compare the Sopranos and other shows that you're going to have on your service to each other. Not a lot of eyeballs, pal. Not a lot of eyeballs out there. So I don't really know what they're hoping to achieve or how they can do the metric of success. And well, if nothing else. Let, somebody asked me this yesterday, as a matter of fact. Uh, they said, okay, what is HBO Max? Okay, so there's HBO. There's HBO Now. There's HBO Go. Oh, yeah. HBO yeah, yeah. 
Is that taking away, are you, all the money we're now spending, and, and our producer here, David Janov, uh, gave me the numbers here, $10. I don't want to buy it with ads, so I got to have it without yeah. ads. So $10, $15, $25, and $8, um, uh, $33. But, you know, I mean, just for these three. And uh, what are we getting here, man? Are, are, is HBO Go going bye-bye or HBO Now no more? Well, here's, here's the thing. Here's the thing. They're not. Like, these streaming services are going to are going to continue or these these replay services let's call them what i think hbo max's is is strategy for growth was we're going to have all this stuff you can't get somewhere else and this is my criticism of these streamers i say the more the merrier on the digital battlefield i say bring in that at&t money bring in that comcast money and let's also be honest Poor Peacock. Their, their launch strategy was built around the Olympics, which got which got pushed to next year because of the because of COVID nineteen. So again, I'm just saying, if you you know, one of the great things about the the media, the entertainment industry, is how nimble it can be. James Bond, the new James Bond movie, was literally it felt like hours away from debuting, and they went, nope. You know what? We're just pushing it back. We're pushing it back because. We're not going to see theaters being open. We're not going to see people in theaters. And we don't want to have a bomb out of this great Bond movie with Daniel Craig's last hurrah. So we're making a move. And you see people do that very quickly. But HBO Max and Peacock and Quibi, and, you know, they're like, they're like old tanks that just can't seem to turn around or like ships heading towards the iceberg that it's too hard to get out of the way than it is to crash. And I just feel like that to me shows tactics not strategy as their plan. Well, and if I you don't have a friend's reunion, if you don't have the Olympics as your launch board, you know what? No one is going to call you a loser for just saying, hey, just going to step back a bit. Going to wait till this happens. Going to get all of our best stuff ready. Going to get it all produced. And then we're going to come out. And if they don't believe any of that, they should just look at what happened to Disney+. Plus. Disney+, Plus had an amazing launch. Amazing. And they had great numbers, millions of signups. And they themselves recognize, uh-oh, now the Mandalorian's over. What do we have to offer people? Because we don't have any of these Marvel shows ready yet or stuff like that. They actually tried to fill the gap with a Mandalorian documentary series, which unto itself, because people are so hungry for Star Wars, was a great success for them as well. If you don't have a hit show to launch your new streaming rocket, just say, you know what? We're postponing for technical reasons, and we'll be back after the pandemic. Okay, so what Disney Disney Plus has done is they did realize that they need to keep feeding this monster that they've created now and others. So what do they do? They spent $75 million for a pre-recorded Hamilton thing that was done with the original cast at the time. And uh, they spent it to uh, release it theatrically and decided, you know what? We need this to keep our service going. We have to keep feeding the monster and get those subscribers, which is a lesson that Netflix should have taught everybody. It's always been about subscribers and everything else be damned with Netflix. And so they've got Hamilton coming uh, on July 3rd, and they've got Artemis Fowl coming in a couple of weeks, uh, which was meant to be a big theatrical release, too. They're sort of stuck in this mode here of uh, of having to deliver new product and as you say the mal uh, you know the, the mandalorian isn't going to uh, do it on its own yeah exactly exactly and i mean honestly I, I ask you how would you have felt if you'd gotten an email about i don't know five weeks ago from hbo max or from john sanclair one of those guys there and said look you know clearly we're all going through something unprecedented right now and we've just decided to hold off a few months on the launch of hbo max 
So people, you know, the real priority of health and safety can be tended to. And obviously, you know, acknowledging that a number of their shows had to cut shut production. Would you have thought, oh, losers, terrible. You guys are never going to get anywhere. Would you have thought that? Uh, no, but I do think that they were sort of locked in, in in one way or another. From what I said before, friends in the office were driving these uh, these debuts. They took them off of uh, Netflix and they they don't want to sit on this for another year. And also, people are still stuck watching television. It's the biggest, you know this, the numbers are way up in terms of this. And so they're thinking at least they have an audience that may give them a sampling. I want to add Apple. We haven't mentioned Apple. And I just have noticed an interesting thing, this being Emmy season here, with that streamer is they are very invested in the Emmy campaign season. And uh, just like Netflix was and Amazon was, they're pouring money yeah. into it. There feels Funny, it's like it's like Apple. Apple has kind of Apple in a way was the, was the template minus the pandemic for a lot of these other streamers. They came out with a few new shows, but it really wasn't enough to create fire. They had the morning show, which was open to a lot of criticism. Um, but they have they seem to stumble out of the gate. But man, do they have their horses in line for the Emmys? They just seem to they seem so mission driven now. It's like it's like they found out. Oh, what we do well is product launch. And we're going to treat the Emmys like a product launch. And suddenly, Apple are clicking into gear. Totally. Remarkable, actually. That's what I see. In fact, I got a call from someone at Apple uh, last week when Deadline ran the uh, daytime Emmy nomination story. I'm not a big uh, proponent of daytime Emmys. I think they give them to your hairdresser and everybody else in town. You know, they're just everywhere. But uh, they're finally going back on network, which surprised me a little. But they were so excited. They said, we got, you know, more Emmy nominations than HBO and daytime for a show called Ghost Rider and, and uh, stuff like that. And then... And and then pointed out that they have 53 nominations overall so far among awards uh, that have come out since they've been on and 19 wins. And so they're really starting to tout this. They've really drunk the Netflix Kool-Aid, you know, and before that, the Harvey Weinstein method of uh, making your name by getting the. Well, well hold on, hold on, hold on. We're, we're, we're talking about the Harvey Weinstein award season and nominations method, correct? Yes. Yes, exactly. yes. We'll be very specific. That is what we're talking about. <laughs> no, don't don't you worry about that. Don't you worry about that at all. <laughs> uh, hey, yeah. Dominic, I want to play a little game with you right now. You know, you mentioned that you did an interview here with Mindy Kaling and Lang Fisher, and I've seen that show, and it's a very good show. But before we Great go show. before we go into listening to your interview, there, can you play this game with me? It's called Never Have I Ever Watched. And uh, and this is is there something you're the TV critic, you're the TV maven. Is there something on there, you know, on television that will shock people that you have never seen in the past? I'll start. I have never seen any show with variations of the initial C.S.I.N.C.I.S.N. Any any way you want to talk about it. Really? Never. Not never? never have I ever seen. Wow. One. I I have to say this is a game where I am go I am going to prove the loser here because I I can't really think of a never have I ever. Um, You've seen it all. I, I, I was I was going to say I will I'll be honest with you I was going to kind of give the same answer as well because they oh NCIS is something like that but it's not true I actually have watched them I've watched I've covered season finales and and the leaving of major major actors and character arcs and what have you I I. 
You know, I will tell you what I definitely did not watch a lot of. And it's, can, can I at least get away with that? Okay. Yes. All right. I, I am not the biggest Friends fan you're ever going to meet. No, and, no. I am, and I am not the biggest fan of Two and a Half Men and oh. then variations on those type of themes. I, I, I love broad comedy. I really do. But I find a lot of, of, of network comedy, in the, specifically from the 90s, which has become a glory period for a lot of people, it yeah. just is so cringe-inducing. And it was kind of cringe. Then it was just really uncool. And now it just feels so, so old. And that's just one I'm never going to get past. But there are a lot of those. I mean, I just named two off the top of my head, mainly because we were talking about it. There are a lot. The, I mean, uh, the, the American version of The Office, to me, was like you'd, I would watch the first five minutes because of what was ever on before it. And then I would just go, oh, I really wish I could watch the English one again. And luckily, in the Netflix world, I can. So, you know, I'm good there. So we're right back where we started here against Peacock, against, against HBO Max with their big signature uh, uh, shows that uh, do have, uh, in all fairness, and I love Friends in the Office, and they have devoted cult followings. There are people oh, that... Oh, no, 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 not my friend, not cult followings. They have legions following them. Yeah. Cult followings is like, is like better things, you know, or FX right. cable or a show like that. These are mad. Millions of people watch these shows. And you're, you're right in many ways. These are, these are the hooks that they are hoping to attract with. I just feel if you're coming into a world where Netflix reigns so strong, where Amazon are so strong, where the Disney controlled Hulu now with FX as a part of their, their on, online components have so much firepower. I feel like you have to show up with your best game and your best game has to be a shiny new thing because that's what's going to make people know that you're the new kid in town. And unfortunately, Quibi, Peacock, and HBO Max, they don't have that yet. But maybe they're going to rewrite the rules. Now, this is my segue to rewriting the rules. We all know Mindy Kalin from the Mindy Project, from The Office, from many other things, from her Emma Thompson movie on Amazon Late Night. But this show that she created with Lang Fisher, Never Have I Ever, a young adult show for Netflix, is, you could almost say, universally critically acclaimed. I gave it a great review, and I am far from alone in the maddening crowd there. And I was so excited, and I say that with a bit of fanboyism, to talk to the two of them about the process of creating this show and all that went into this very, very unique take, very complex and nuanced take on growing up in America. You know, one of the elements of Never Have I Ever, it deals a lot with loss, it deals a lot with pain, it deals, and it deals with it in, in a very different way than most adolescent shows did. I, to both of you, please, why did you decide that that was a, a main plot line that you wanted to build upon? Um, well, both Mindy and I have lost a parent, and so we have uh, experienced that sort of pain. But I think for us, what we wanted was a show that had depth and that our main character had depth. And, and I think personally, like teenagers usually have some real adult size pain going on in their lives most of the time and are usually unable to process it. And, uh, and I, I think we both thought that it would be good if, if our character, you know, had like sort of a deep wound um that she was dealing with and struggling with um which we thought you know because 
one thing we really wanted was like a teenager who had like a big personality and had like some real problems and you know had a temper and mm -hmm. and we felt like that needed to come from somewhere it couldn't just come from her being a like a brat one thing that's different about streaming than say broadcast television is when it all comes down and, and all gets dropped in in one season um the response is different week by week people can play out things and watch stories happen what has been the response that the two of you have had? The biggest response that I feel we see on Twitter or from anecdotally is that everyone watched the entire thing in five hours, which is yes. such a I can admit to that. And what's great about having everyone watch it in such a short period of time is you don't necessarily get the complaint early on of, well, how come we're not seeing the other characters? They're not developed. It's like, well, you have access to all of them. You can see them. And that is so great coming from, you know, Lang and I have so much network television experience. And again, on doing Netflix, you don't have to do a 21 and a half minute episode. And so the biggest complaint when you do a, a network show is, well, the other characters aren't really established as well. And it's like, yeah, because we only had this amount of time. Some of our episodes are 28 minutes long. And that let us see, you know, much more of Kamala, the girl who was living, the cousin who's living in the house and all the other characters. So doing a show at Netflix creatively was just um, really amazing for us. Of course, Never Have I Ever came out as many, Many of us were beginning to go into the coronavirus lockdown throughout the United States and around the world. Um, I feel in some ways, you know, this has been, people have been watching more television in the past several weeks than they've been watching in years. Do you feel that that allowed you in a way to have even more direct relationship with the multitudes of your audience? And, and, and do you feel that that was beneficial? Yeah, the pandemic was bad for the world, but it was really good for our show. Like, it was like, you know, it was... I truly think that people gave the show a chance. I mean, there's so much about the show which you could construe as niche. You could say, oh, it's about women. Oh, it's about Indian people. Um, it's high school. You know, I don't know if I'm into it. But what was so great was because everyone is trapped, they were sort of forced to become more open-minded about what they were going to watch. And so we feel like we really benefited from it. And the other thing, too, is people really wanted to watch funny stuff. The trailer for our show promised a sexy romp show you know something that felt like it was a, a really funny raunchy teen show and then the show delivered on something i think that dealt with a lot more issues than necessarily the trailer promised and so um we were really happy with how many people watched it i mean uh, five days after i think lang wasn't it like almost a, a week after we saw that the show was like number one almost around the world I think it was a couple of days after yeah and it continued to be for a for a long time yeah. afterwards it yeah, wasn't just up there. oh well so that I think was really due, due to the timing. So for a little show, like for us, the timing of this at a time when most people are at home and they want to watch something funny, like we really benefited from that. And we're so grateful. Not for the pandemic. We're not grateful for the pandemic, but we're grateful that we were able to- News headline tomorrow. Mindy happy about pandemic. Yeah, <laughs> not, not the headline we're going to say. And so with that, Thanks for listening to this episode of the Deadline Podcast TV Talk. Now make sure you subscribe, if you don't already, to us on Apple Podcasts or Spotify so you never, ever miss an episode. And of course, you can find all of our Emmy breaking news coverage, whether it be streamers, our broadcast networks or whatever, right at Deadline.com. As well as all the breaking news on what's going down on the entertainment industry. And so with that, thanks for joining us this week and goodbye. It's time for today's Lucky Land Horoscope with Victoria Cash. 
Life's gotten mundane, so shake up the daily routine and be adventurous with a trip to Lucky Land. You know what they say, your chance to win starts with a spin. So go to LuckyLandSlots.com to play over 100 social casino-style games for free for your chance to redeem some serious prizes. Get lucky today at LuckyLandSlots.com. Available to players in the U.S., excluding Washington and Michigan. No purchase necessary. VGW Group. Void were prohibited by law. 18 plus. Terms and conditions apply.